Tonight, I'm not talking about anatta, <laughs> in case you're filled with expectation for those of you who've been here, <laughs> at least um, not from the perspective of the three characteristics. Tonight, I am going to speak on compassion. Last week, I spoke about dukkha, um, suffering, and I think it's actually the first time that I've ever given a talk where I didn't include more about compassion. And because they are so closely linked, I would like to speak uh, to bring the suffering into balance. Um, you know, compassion is what is going to help us, enable us to really touch in to the depths of dukkha. going to help us to be able to do this with a heart that is open and engaged, present, fully awake and alert to that which is often so hard to bear. There is a close link between suffering and compassion, wisdom and compassion. With wisdom, we see into the true nature of experience. And compassion becomes what is manifested through this seeing, what becomes expressed when our veils of delusion have been dispelled. when we see deeply into the truth of suffering, there's a natural pull of the heart that happens, a movement of the heart to want to alleviate that suffering. In Buddhist teachings, we often hear the two qualities of wisdom and compassion as being likened to the two wings of a bird. And as we all know, the bird needs both wings in order to soar, in order to fly. And so too do our hearts and minds need both of these wings, the wings of wisdom and compassion. If we find wisdom just standing alone without being balanced by compassion, we'll find that our understanding becomes intellectual, becomes distant, is not engaged, is not connected, as if we're sitting, observing life from a distance. If compassion is out of balance with wisdom, we won't have the wisdom to know the selfless nature of compassion and we'll find ourselves caught in states of grief and pity where there is still some separation, some sense of self. We'd be likely to confuse compassion with desire and attachment such as we often feel with our families, where we do care for them, but there's also 
attachment, desire, wanting things to be a certain way. There is a degree of caring that's there, but it can be quite narrow. And compassion is quite boundless. As we sit here in meditation, we are likely to experience for ourselves how closely these two are intertwined. When we're in the space of wisdom, the stillness, the silence of the heart that opens to all phenomena as it appears. As we realize the emptiness, or as some say, the fullness, empty of self, full of life. This is where we begin to experience the natural expression of compassion. We also find in moments when we're strongly aware of compassion, there's a balance, a steadiness that isn't broken by the pain, isn't reactive to what we are experiencing, what we are seeing. And then it becomes easier to act from a place of wisdom. And it's really only when both of these qualities are fully developed, fully realized, embodied, that we will find an end to suffering. Lama Suryadas, who's uh, a teacher in the Tibetan tradition, uh, actually a Western monk, or he's not a monk actually, Western teacher, says about wisdom and compassion, if it looks like wisdom but is unkind rather than loving, it's not wisdom. If it feels like love but it's not wise, it's not love. So tonight, exploring something of compassion and how it's interwoven with wisdom. So what is compassion? It's that capacity of the heart to open in the face of suffering and the movement of the heart to alleviate that pain. It's a tenderness of heart that is rooted in our interconnectedness to all life and the dilemmas that we face as living beings. Classically, it's described as the quivering or the trembling of the heart in response to suffering. This is a description that has always resonated with me somehow the image of it, that quivering, trembling. You know, it's not a high reactivity, but it's a responsiveness of the heart when it sees that which is painful. It might be a moment in our practice when deep rage emerges. And rather than buying into it, identifying with it, 
we touch into it with kindness, with care. We accept, we open to what is happening. We hold ourselves gently. Or maybe it's a moment when one of our fellow yogis is angry, distressed. Their actions are um, magnified in the silence. And rather than being caught in reactivity, rather than wanting to lash out at them, we simply soften. We hold them in our hearts. We touch into their sadness, their place of despair. We are moved by the way that they are. The very fact that we're practicing here, this may have come from a compassionate response to the suffering the cries that we hear in the world. And it motivates us moment by moment as we sit on our cushions to look deeply into the roots of suffering. These are all moments of compassion. Moments where we find an ability to be inclusive to include states of fear, anger, rage, to include that which seems so unpleasant, unbearable. And rather than hardening, trying to protect, trying to pull away, we soften, relax, and stay connected. I remember at one point in my own practice feeling like I was mother to 10,000 things, mother to 10,000 screaming children. And all that was needed was to acknowledge, to accept, to include. And in doing so, the cries, the screams abated. Many of us can relate to compassion on a limited basis, being too open to moments when we contact some degree of suffering. But compassion, true compassion, is really limitless. And it can often bring up a lot of fear as we look at the immensity of suffering in the world. It can seem overwhelming to embrace this. And we can have a strong fear of being overwhelmed or broken by the suffering. There is such an immensity of suffering. When we look around the world, we see the wars, the crime, the violence, the poverty. And this is, you know, just in the external world, not to mention 
what's going on internally in people, where we can be so savage with ourselves, with others, the brutality that we experience emotionally. It can seem huge to open up to this. It's no wonder that we want to turn away from it. But that turning away only creates more pain, more suffering, more agitation. It keeps us contracted, tight, caught in this endless perpetuation of suffering. We also encounter fear when we have a thought of opening to someone who perpetuates suffering, someone, you know, people who, who, who um, cause the wars, people who cause violence, uh, people who torture other people. I remember back to experiencing this fear as if I was afraid that if I connected with the suffering in some of these beings, that I would be pulled into a black hole and would never find my way out of it. It was a very tangible feeling, one that frightened me for a long time. But when compassion is present, we don't get broken by the suffering. We don't get overwhelmed. We have the strength of the heart that can open to it. And that is because compassion is infused with wisdom. Compassion knows of the selfless nature. It knows of the empty essence. It knows of the insubstantial nature of experience. We can only be broken by pain, by suffering, when there is someone who can be broken, when we are identifying with it, trying to hold it. I also remember uh, seeing something of this in my own practice, where this sense of opening to the deep suffering and feeling as if I would be overwhelmed by it, and then realizing there was nobody to be overwhelmed by it. It also becomes easier to open to the suffering of people who cause suffering when we have spent a lot of time looking at our own mind. It becomes very humbling to watch all of the mind states that pass through, to see that within this very mind there is the same seeds of violence that cause wars, that create um, hatred, that, that cause violence. We harbor these same seeds within our own minds. And the seeing of this can be deeply humbling and can be the birthplace of compassion. 
Compassion also has a quality of fearlessness to it. It's where we're willing and able to act with a courageous heart that steps outside of the boundaries of a separate self. Compassion pulls us into action when we come in contact with that which is unwholesome, harmful, or damaging to others. We become strongly motivated by this desire to alleviate suffering. There's been times in my life where I have watched in others them being pulled into this selfless, fearless quality of compassion. And when I say that compassion is fearless, it doesn't mean that we don't encounter fear. It means that we aren't stopped by the fear. One incident where I witnessed this was one day when I was going for a walk around the loop um, with a couple of dogs. Uh, This was a few years ago. Some of you may have known a dog named Kelsey, who is actually uh, known as a bodhisattva of compassion in the IMS world. This was a dog who um, came day after day to IMS, tended to hang out with yogis who were in distress. I had many a yogi report to me how Kelsey had been the being that they had connected with in the depths of their suffering. So on this particular day, I was walking with Kelsey and another dog named Traker. We were walking around the loop, and it had been the pattern in walking with Kelsey um, during that period of time where we would get to a certain place on the loop and Kelsey would get very afraid and really begin to tremble, begin to yelp. And if you weren't paying attention, Kelsey would start to jump up until you paid attention because Kelsey really didn't want to go any further. And, you know, sometimes I'd be engaged in conversation and not really noticing. And Kelsey would turn and go back, wouldn't go onwards. But on this particular day, I did notice Kelsey's behavior. And so I, you know, tried to steady Kelsey um, to let Kelsey know that I knew that um, he was suffering. And why Kelsey was afraid was because we were about to walk past a house where two other dogs lived. And these two other dogs had uh, picked battles with Kelsey. And Kelsey had suffered at the hands of these two other dogs, had actually you know, really been quite ripped apart one day. And so, I also knew how to talk to these other two dogs and that one could, you know, make them back off. One could stop them by speaking in a certain tone of voice. So, you know, giving assurance to Kelsey as we walked past. And so we walked past, Kelsey in front, you know, telling the other dogs just to stay put. They did. And as we walked past, um, Traker, the other dog, fell behind. And Traker seemed to have a better relationship with these two dogs. And so at first they were just kind of playing, and so I took no notice, it seemed fine. We walked on, and then suddenly they turned on Traker. And what happened in the next moment was to me an expression of this courageous fearlessness of compassion. Kelsey, in a split second, hearing the yelps of Traker, turned around to be with his friend. 
turned around to aid him in his moment of suffering. And this is what happens. We, we may have experienced it in our own lives, where suddenly, for a moment, we become much bigger than ourselves. We step out of this constriction of self, and we just do what needs to be done. We just respond. This is a quote from Nyanaponika Tara, who was a German-born Theravadan monk. The world suffers, but most people have their eyes and ears closed. They do not see the unbroken stream of tears flowing through life. They do not hear the cry of distress continually pervading the world. Their own grief or joy bars their sights, deafens their ears. Bound by selfishness, their hearts turn stiff and narrow. Being stiff and narrow, how should they be able to survive for any higher goal? To realize that only release from selfish craving will affect their own freedom from suffering. It is compassion that removes the heavy bar, opens the door to freedom, makes the narrow heart as wide as the world. Compassion takes away from the heart the inert weight, the paralyzing heaviness. It gives wings to those who cling to the lowlands of self. Compassion makes the narrow heart as wide as the world, taking away the inert weight, the paralyzing heaviness, and giving wings to those who cling to the lowlands of self. As we practice, as we come more in touch with the depths of suffering, as we become more sensitive to suffering, our hearts don't harden, don't contract. This is our fear. And it isn't what happens. Instead, we find this great capacity to open, to become tender, to let go of this isolation, contraction of self. Sometimes even in a moment in practice where we're suffering, where we're caught in pain, if we can remember that all beings suffer in the same way when caught in delusion, it can open up the doorway to compassion, the capacity to bear this pain, to be with this pain. The selflessness of compassion, 
being the wisdom aspect, being that which comes from the deep realization of the empty essence. We don't see this when we're caught in the limited view of self, which creates the world of picking and choosing that Marcia spoke about last, in her last talk, where we get caught in defending, manipulating, maneuvera- maneuvering our way through life, where we get caught in defending our views and opinions, where we pick and we choose from a place of disconnection, When we're caught in the view of self, there's no avenue for compassion. But it's the selflessness, the seeing of this selflessness, that will take us into true compassion or great compassion. A compassion that is free of concept, that is the wakeful expression of emptiness. The power of empathy will also help us to find the quality of compassion. In a moment where we experience empathy in the face of another's suffering, is a moment where we stand in their shoes, feel what it's like to be them, feel what it's like to face the trials and tribulations that they are experiencing, feel what their lives might be like. We can recognize human frailties. We can recognize that they are as much in need of love as we are we come back to a place of shared humanity. This shared humanity will enable us to forgive, to relinquish pain from the past, suffering. Empathy will help us to be able to have the capacity to forgive, to let go, of harsh judgments, to let go of wrongs that have been done to us. Not so long ago, I met somebody whom in the past had done a lot of things that I had experienced pain from. I had oftentimes felt harshly treated by this person. When I met them, it was quite a surprise to me in that I didn't immediately move into a very guarded way of relating to them. But when I met them and, you know, coming out of their mouth was anger, was aversion, I found the capacity in that moment to feel what it was possibly like to be them, to feel the pain that they were feeling, to be acting in the way that they were. As I stayed in their presence, 
it started to wane, this feeling of compassion. And I felt the aversion come in. But then, immediately, I made a conscious choice just to go back to connection with their pain. And immediately, the aversion dissipated. When we don't open to the pain, we become fragmented and compartmentalized. But compassion offers us the possibility to become whole. I recently read about a uh, scientific experiment that was done by the Mind and Life Institute. This is doing the work that His Holiness the Dalai Lama is engaged in, in working with scientists. And they were working around um, understanding destructive emotions and what helps to counter destructive emotions. So one experiment that they did involved a monk who was a Western monk in the Tibetan tradition, and he had spent three decades in the Himalayas, obviously done a lot of practice. And so he was shown two different films that had been used for 30 years uh, in emotion research. The first film was that of a surgeon who was amputating a leg with a scalpel and a saw. And the film shows lots of gory details and blood. And the camera only focuses on the limb, so you never see the person who is getting the surgery. And the, the result over all these years has been that the, uh, a person commonly experiences disgust. And then in the other film, you see the pain of a severely burned patient who stands as a doctor strips the skin off his body. So when the monk saw the first film, he reported, as did many others, the feeling of disgust. He commented that it reminded him of the Buddhist teachings on impermanence and the unsavory aspects of this body when we look below the surface, as we do when we do the 32 parts of the body meditation. And then, when he saw the movie showing the burn victim, he experienced compassion. His thoughts were about human suffering and how to relieve it. His feelings were a sense of caring and concern, mixed with a not unpleasant, strong, but poignant sadness. This reminded me, in you know, somewhat of a different spin on it, what happens when you know, we're just looking at an action someone has done, when we're just looking at a piece of something that's been said, but we're not tuning in to the totality of the person. We're not touching into that human beingness. And the whole relationship changes when we can touch into the totality. 
there was also another very interesting piece to the research. Um, in the research, they found that the physiological signs that were monitored as the monk watched the second film reflected a very strong relaxation. And this relaxation was even stronger than what had been recorded when uh, the monk was just in a resting state. I think this points towards something that's very important. How when we touch into compassion, when we really are open, available, there is a letting go, a letting go that is a relinquishment. And it's softening. You may have experienced something of this in your own practice, where there was a moment of being caught in suffering, and then you softened. You saw the suffering and softened. You simply let go in that moment. You didn't stand separate, apart. Albert Einstein once said, a human being is a part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. When I spoke a couple of weeks ago about impermanence, I spoke about how nature can support us in the understanding of impermanence. Nature, too, can be an ally in learning how to be open, be spacious with suffering. There's been so many times in my own life when I've been caught in immense pain, despair, and gone out into nature and simply sat, simply sat and let myself be held by nature to feel the wind on my face, to feel the sun, to feel the hardness of the earth, and to be, have the feeling of being held by nature, of not being separate, of being a part of this changing process. And out of this, it has helped me to learn how to be more open and spacious in the face of the pain that I encounter in life.
This is reflected in a poem by Wendell Berry. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethoughts of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. I find the texture of compassion quite interesting and one could say almost paradoxical. It's like there's a tender tender sadness. There's almost a joyful or a sweetness. Probably sweet is more the word that I would use to describe compassion. You know, it's experienced you know, when we uh, come in contact with suffering and there might just be one teardrop. And within that teardrop is the ocean of compassion. It's where we are finding within ourselves the capacity to see truth and to stay connected to stay in touch when there is pain, sorrow. Although we tend to think about compassion as being something that we extend to others, it's equally as important that we learn to extend compassion to ourselves. It's a way in which we don't abandon ourselves in the face of suffering. Being able to experience pain tenderly We discover as we sit on our cushions that we need this compassion on a daily basis, even moment by moment at times. We need to be in touch with this quality of compassion. As we sit, our practice can reveal to us habituated tendencies that are blatantly cruel at times, really harmful things that are shocking to see. And if we meet that with brutality, the suffering will only be compounded. We find that even just the ability to come back to the breath, time after time, when we found ourselves lost in thought, 
needs a quality of compassion. No, and in these moments, we don't give up on ourselves. We just stay steady. We just stay tender. We have compassion for the predicament that we find ourselves in as human beings. As we open to the deepest recesses of our minds, we will at times be able to do so with this gentleness, this tenderness, this care. And then other times we will find that we are at our edge. We start to harden, tighten, contract. And then we simply have to go bigger, be more inclusive, holding this in a very large way. Holding ourselves as we would a child who is screaming, a child who is in pain. And you know, sometimes I've even found that visual image to be helpful when the pain seems unbearable. Pema Chodron says, it is unconditional compassion for ourselves that leads naturally to unconditional compassion for others. If we are willing to stand fully in our own shoes and never give up on ourselves, then we will be able to put ourselves in the shoes of others and never give up on them. True compassion does not come from wanting to help out those who are less fortunate than ourselves, but from realizing our kinship with all beings. Never giving up on ourselves doesn't mean that we are always the warrior. It means that when we fall down, we will pick ourselves up again. And we will do this again and again and again. In our experience, sometimes we think we're experiencing compassion, but upon closer examination, it might show that there is actually sorrow or grief that is present. This is where we're experiencing the suffering through the veil of separation. It might occur as a slight contempt while we see a person who seems weak or inferior, thereby feeling sorry for them or having pity on them. But we aren't deeply connecting with the pain. We're seeing it as something separate. It has an element of aversion to it. And it tends to happen when we have an inability in ourselves to face something. We cut off from that which we cannot face in ourselves. We might also experience 
um, a false sense of compassion where we have a self-righteous anger. And there's a, um, a falling into division, a falling into there being a you and a me, rather than acknowledging that what we're in is a place of suffering and what can we do about it. When we experience these states that hold within them the pity, the grief, the sense of separation, we will find that our energy becomes depleted. We may, at these times, become shattered by the experience, become broken by it, not able to hold the immensity of it. In learning to open to suffering, I have found that there is a couple of tendencies that I commonly uh, fall into where I might feel responsible for another person's suffering. No, as if I have caused the pain and that I am responsible for the alleviation of the pain, which is different than really just wanting to do what one can. It's where we're tied up, identified in with it. And then we end up feeling very burdened by it, very broken by it. And that's when it becomes important to remember that it's only hard to hold the immensity of suffering when there is someone who is holding it. And this is where compassion needs to be balanced by wisdom. Through the wisdom, we do not take personally the suffering. We do not identify with it in a way that creates more suffering. Only the emptiness can hold it all. Rather than disempowering, as we common can think of compassion, it actually empowers us. It helps us to have a clear and open mind. It doesn't mean that we become passive in the face of suffering, but that we are responsive, balanced, connected, and through this can see more clearly Sometimes we might encounter what is called fierce compassion. This is where compassion is wielding the sword of wisdom, a sword that's made up of both non-attachment and discriminating wisdom. It's where we may have strong words or actions, but they aren't rooted in anger or blame. 
they stem from a deep caring. It might be we're, we're able to say no with an open heart. We're able to be fearless and we're not grasping at results. We're just doing what needs to be done. There's many examples in today's world of people who embody fierce compassion, active compassion, and who do so in a way that is truly profound, can radically shift the minds of those around them. One such example is Mahagosananda. For those of you who were here a few weeks ago when Marcia spoke about uh, blessings, she spoke of Mahagosananda, who is now quite an elderly monk. The, the story that I want to share goes back to a time when he opened a Buddhist temple in a barren refugee camp of the Khmer, Khmer Rouge. Um, there was 50,000 villagers who had become communists at gunpoint, and they'd later, later fled to Thai border camps. They, the Khmer Rouge had threatened anyone who was going to go to a temple. But Mahagosananda opened a temple, and that day 20,000-plus people crowded into a d- dusty square. They were sad remnants of families. They were people who had had their, their children's schools had been burned, their villages had been destroyed, and nearly every person had lost somebody in their family. And Mahagosananda began with tr- chanting a traditional chant that had permeated village life for a thousand years a chant that these people had been unable to chant for eight years. And he began teaching one of the central verses of the Buddha's teachings. He recited it over and over again. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. He chanted this verse over and over again and thousands of people joined in with him. And they wept. Their hearts longed for this forgiveness, like a parched desert longs for rain. The clear presence of this monk and the truth that he chanted was even greater than the sorrows that they had to bear. Fierce compassion, enabling us to stay true to ourselves, to be able to stay in a place of clarity, to help alleviate suffering in the world, to act through the guidance of the voice of wisdom, to act through a way that, co- that reflects the truth of life and is not impaired by habits of delusion. 
habits of greed, habits of aversion. Compassion that helps us to become bigger than ourselves, to step out of this framework. Compassion that helps us to keep our practice engaged, both as we look into the depths of our own suffering and as we relate, respond to the world around us. We deepen our compassion as we sit, as we open to our own experience, as we touch into pain, anger, fear, distress, as we touch into the challenges of being a human being, we find a responsiveness, a spaciousness, a tenderness that is always there, always present when we cut through the veils of delusion. But it's not easy, the journey of awakening this compassion. Because so many times the suffering seems so vast, so deep. But we need to do as Pema Chodron has said, to never give up on ourselves. And in doing so, We never give up on others, on the world. I'd like to close with a poem from His Holiness the Dalai Lama called Never Give Up. Never give up, no matter what is going on. Never give up. Develop the heart. Too much energy is spent developing the mind instead of the heart. Be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Be compassionate. Work for peace. In your heart and in the world, work for peace. And I say again, never give up. No matter what is happening, no matter what is going on around you, never give up. So let's just sit for a moment.
May all beings soar with the wings of wisdom and compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.